passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode, episode 183, For the Love of the Game, on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. We are in the thick of it in the NBA, off to a hot start there. College basketball just tipped off this week, and you can find all the latest basketball betting odds, trends, matchup info on Bet Online. Obviously, we still have NFL. NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. There's tons of sports to bet on and do so at Bet Online. Go to betonline.ag today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV. That's B L E A V to get 50% on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts with that said, episode 183 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. <laughs> Welcome back. It is yours truly, ATH, back in the saddle, back behind the mic, episode 183 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network. And we are going to talk a lot of NBA this episode with a new member of the Believe Podcast family. We're going to bring him on in a little bit. First time appearance for him. Excited to do that. But we got to kick it off with the New York Jets, a team that I have poo-pooed all year. I have been skeptical of the Jets every week, every single week, and they have already exceeded my expectations. But this past Sunday, beating the Buffalo Bills 20-17 to was just huge for the Jets. Absolutely huge for the Jets. I mean, the Bills are probably, all things considered, the best team in the NFL. Yeah, they had a little bit of a clunker, being a big favorite. They had a clunker. Josh Allen may have hurt his elbow. We'll see what happens with that. But can't take away from what the New York Jets did. After not looking good against the Patriots last week, the New York Jets rebound and beat a team at home that arguably is a Super Bowl favorite and improved to 6-3. and three. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. As I mentioned on Picks Against the Spread last week, 
the Bills were 13-point favorites. 13-point favorites. Had an 11-point lead and then ended up losing to the Jets 20-17. The New York Jets defense is the story. The front seven got to Josh Allen all day. Sauce Gardner, the rookie cornerback, might be the best corner in the NFL already. But it's not just him in the secondary. DJ Reed, the whole crew, they're statistically a top three secondary in the entire NFL. And again, the front seven got pressure. I mean, the Bills scored three points and had 63 total yards in the second half. Again, this is a Bills team that is probably the favorite still to win the Super Bowl. And the Jets held them to three points and 63 total yards. Absolutely incredible. Zach Wilson wasn't great. He did what they needed to do to win. But the story is the Jets' defense and the Jets' young talent around Zach Wilson is elite. We'll see if Zach Wilson is the guy long-term, but the Jets have a real foundation here. And again, even after this win, I can't see the Jets making the playoffs. I just can't see it. And maybe that's my preseason bias still kicking in, but I can't see it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they have something good going in Jets land. And this win is a huge win for the coaching staff, for the front office, for everybody. Super, super impressive. Super impressive. You can't stress just how impressive of a win it is. To come back from 11 points down where you thought that it was going to be a long day for the Jets and the Jets get a win 20-17. to Really good stuff from the Jets, got to say. A couple of things around the NFL. The big story to me besides for the New York Jets is I said it last week and this week was more of the same and it reinforced it. Tua Tagovailoa is really, really, really good. Really, really good. He was great again on Sunday. And you're going to say, I know it's the Bears. The Bears are not very good. They traded their two best players. But Tua carved them up. Tua is sticking it to all the haters who basically said that he was terrible last year even though that all the Dolphins did was win with him on the field. But guess what? Not only are they winning with him on the field this year, they're 5-0 and in games where he starts and finishes, but he's statistically in the top three in basically every passing category. You want to look at analytics? The advanced analytics love Tua Tagovailoa too. It's time to accept the fact that Tua is really good. Now, I've been on the train of Tua being really good. I always said trust the pedigree. The guy was great at every single level. And now it's just coming to fruition. I mean, besides for Allen, who had a rough day Sunday, Mahomes, who we'll get to in a second, and Joe Burrow, who's better than Tua? Nobody. Nobody's better than Tua. Justin Herbert, I don't think is better than Tua. Lamar Jackson, I don't think is better than Tua. And he's actually played pretty well of late after having a rough stretch. He's come on strong. But Tua Tagovailoa is the real deal. And yes, he gets the throw to Tyree Kill and Jalen Wild, the best combination of receivers in the league. But guess what? 
He's also throwing those guys open. I mean, you see Emmanuel Acho talking about it on Twitter. You see Dan Orlovsky talking about it on Twitter. Tua is making those guys great too. It's time to recognize people. It's time to give the guy his due. Tua Tagovailoa is awesome, and the Miami Dolphins are probably the third best team in the AFC, and you can make a case that they're probably the third best team in the NFL. I mentioned Lamar Jackson, the Ravens. They're coming on strong. I know I get on Lamar a lot, but he's played a lot better the last couple of weeks. Ravens look like they're poised to go on a big run here. Their schedule's favorable, but they can't let up because the Cincinnati Bengals are also coming on strong. I know that Jamar Chase is out for a little bit, but they put a whooping on the Carolina Panthers, and they seem to be rounding into form, but uh, good for the Ravens. And by the way, I saw a video on Twitter, and again, I know I critique Lamar a lot. I know I'm considered one of the chief Lamar haters, but I saw a video on, on Twitter of Lamar meeting like a young fan who must have been six or seven years old. He's got a heart condition. Young kid basically made his day. If you ever want to score points with me, those videos are a sure way to score points with me. It's basically shedding a tear 100 out of 100 times. It's a guarantee, so good on Lamar for that. The Ravens look like they're going to be at least the team to be reckoned with in the AFC. I don't think they're quite at the level of the Dolphins, Bills, or Chiefs but they may make some noise in the AFC. I mentioned the Chiefs. I mentioned Patrick Mahomes. 20-17 win against the Tennessee Titans, who are somehow 5-3. and three. I don't know how that's happening. They win the game in overtime on a night where they could not run the ball to save their lives. Patrick Mahomes dropped back to pass 68 times. 68 times! 43 for 68. 443 yards and a comeback win. Just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I know everybody was quick to crown Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's awesome. He really is. He's probably the MVP this year. But let's not take the greatness for Pat, of Patrick Mahomes for granted. All right? We had some people in the media talking about how Tyreek Hill left and that Patrick Mahomes was magically not going to be good anymore. We had people talking about that the Chiefs were going to finish last in that division. The Chiefs may be the one seed in the AFC, and Patrick Mahomes probably should win the MVP. Even though I do think if there was ever going to be a year where a quarterback wouldn't win MVP, it would be this year. But Patrick Mahomes is just ridiculous. How he overcame all the stuff Sunday night to win that game where the Titans beat them up physically, they had nothing going, but Patrick Mahomes still found a way to win. I mean, dropping back to pass 68 times is absurd, absolutely absurd. We can't take Patrick Mahomes for granted because odds are the first however many years Patrick Mahomes has been in the league now are probably the best we've ever seen at the quarterback position, all things considered. Uh, speaking of guys who, you know, came back to win Tom Brady looked vintage in the fourth quarter especially on that last drive just vintage Brady had nothing going all game but found a way to win even at four and five the Bucks are the number one seed in that division in the NFC South and 
Brady's stats have been bad. If you had him in fantasy, you've been really disappointed. But, like, if you watch the games, like, Brady is still really good. It's just everything around him has been crumbling. But somehow he's propped them up to be even four and five. That's how bad the rest of the roster has been. So kudos to Tom Brady if you ever need it anymore. Kudos is thrown his way. On the flip side, it looks like the Rams are done. Just looks like it's not going to be their year. Year from hell. They won the Super Bowl last year. Great. This isn't the year, and I think you could stick a fork in the Green Bay Packers, too. I mean, nine points against the Detroit Lions, statistically the worst defense in the NFL. Nine points. Aaron Rodgers throwing three red zone interceptions, two at the goal line. I mean, he's basically given up and throws everybody else under the bus, doesn't take accountability for himself. Just a disaster. You can put a fork in them. So that's a nice little segue into Week 10's picks against the spread. Last week I was 2-2-1. Two, two and one. Thought it was going to look a little bit better, but uh, we salvaged a at least a 500 week thanks to the Seahawks beating up on the Cardinals. So here we go. First pick. I mentioned him before, Tua, my guy. You got the Miami Dolphins minus three and a half against the Browns at home. I just, I know the Browns have a good defense, but I don't know how you can stop this, this Dolphins offense. I mean, and I don't think the Browns can score enough points, so I really like that one. I mean, that was the first line that really jumped out to me. I just thought it was weird. I can't believe the line's not higher. Miami minus three and a half. I've got the Rams. I know he said just put a fork in them, but there's a team worse than them in their division, and they're playing them on Sunday, and that is the Arizona Cardinals, who are an absolute train wreck right now. Kyler Murray seems to hate everybody. It's unclear if Kyler Murray even really likes playing football, so I'm going to take the Rams at home minus three. I think if they're ever going to get right, you got to beat up on the Cardinals. I talked about Patrick Mahomes. Stay there. Kansas City, minus nine and a half against the Jaguars. I know I've had a little bit of a boner for the Jaguars all season, but I just think the Chiefs right now are looking to give themselves a little separation in that division. I know I said put a fork in them, but for some reason, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. Packers plus five at home against the Cowboys. It's just the home underdog thing. It's a lot of points. If Aaron Rodgers has any pride, he's going to make this game close. So I got the Packers plus five. And then I have my New York Giants coming off the bye, minus six against the Texans. I know Xavier McKinney is out. Ridiculous ATV injury on the bye week. We don't love that, but the Texans are 1-6-1, and one, and the Giants are 6-2. and two. So I'm going to take the Giants minus six. So to recap... Miami minus three and a half, Rams minus three, Kansas City minus nine and a half, Packers plus five, Giants minus six. Those are this week's picks against the spread. A uh, couple of things before we get into tonight's guest that I mentioned before. The New York Yankees are embarrassing themselves. They embarrassed themselves on the field not that long ago. By the way, shout out to the Houston Astros. You assholes won the World Series. Great. New York Yankees had exit interviews for Brian Cashman, talked about that results don't matter, trust the process, fuck that. At a certain point, results matter, 
and the results for the New York Yankees on the field have not been very good. Aaron Boone continued to embarrass himself. At least he admitted that he managed so poorly in the playoffs. I can't understand for the life of me how these two bumbling idiots are going to be back with the team, but it looks like that's going to be the case. I'm just so sick of the Yankees. I'm sick of this regime. I, until something changes, I'm not watching. I'm just not watching. That's it. I'm not watching. I don't care. I'm not watching. One last, last thing before we bring on Greg to talk NBA. Quick thing about the New York Knicks. Hilarious that right now at the time of the recording, they're 5-5. Five and five. They have a even point differential, legitimately, you know, plus or minus zero. They're at zero. They're 5-0 and oh against teams with losing records. 0-5 oh against teams with winning records. I mean, they're just the most average team ever. It's just going nowhere fast, and it just sucks. Like, there's no reason to watch this team. But then I saw, because the Lakers are a dumpster fire, I saw a mock trade written on Bleacher Report that was so incredibly embarrassing. It was like R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Obi Toppin, Evan Fournier, and like five first-round picks for Anthony Davis. Like, no thanks. No thanks. First of all, that is an absurd package for anybody. And if they didn't trade the farm for Donovan Mitchell, I'm not trading the farm for Anthony Davis because for a couple reasons. One, Anthony Davis is not good anymore, okay? He's terrible in isolation, can't score after getting his own shot. He's older, he's more brittle, he never plays. Like, I don't think he really likes playing basketball. He's not in shape. Screw that. I would sooner trade all that stuff for Donovan Mitchell at 26, who's really good than Anthony Davis, who's the biggest theoretical all-star of all time. Well, anyway, with that said, we're going to get into a little bit more about the NBA, or I should say a lot more about the NBA with Greg in just a matter of moments. So I have the pleasure of welcoming on a first-time guest, a special first-time guest, a member of the Believe Podcast family, Mr. Greg Silver, who does the Screaming from the Sidelines show. Greg, what's good, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to go on other shows and just talk hoops. This is awesome. Listen, you know, I've been doing a lot at NFL lately, obviously. I've been talking about the Yankees way too much. But the NBA, as people know, is my bread and butter. I'm always looking for new guys to talk hoops. And so I'm excited to have you on. Welcome to the Believe Podcast family. So let's kick things off, obviously, right? So you're a, you're a Bay Area guy. We'll talk about your Warriors in a little bit. But my first question to you is this. You know, first 10 games or so, what so far has stood out to you regarding this NBA season? What is the, you know, the biggest surprise per se? And I, and besides, you know, besides for the Utah Jazz being number two in the West, what to you is the biggest surprise in the NBA? Well, before I get into any of the specifics, I just got to say, I have a great appreciation for the amount of even play we're seeing across the league. It really feels like there's a whole pool of contenders right now. And in the past, like, yes, I enjoyed the Warriors' great run and when they had Kevin Durant and all that, but they were still in the mix and they still are in the mix. And right now it's so fun to have a league where you can have everybody be really competitive. I think this upcoming playoffs is going to be some of the best we've seen in a while. Uh, let's see, some specifics. I got to give it up to Portland, man. They're 7-3. and three. They had to play without Damian Lillard some. They're still getting great wins. They just beat Phoenix on the road. 
And this is really us getting our first sample of Chauncey Billups as a head coach because last year Lillard was out. They were kind of taking the tank route a little bit. Now we're getting to see Portland for real. A lot of people were pegging them as maybe a play-in team. But if they keep this up, they can get a top six seed for sure. And I'm happy to see that for Damian Lillard and for Chauncey Billups. Uh, Something else, I'll go with the fact that Cleveland is very much for real and explosive. I wanted to see it before I really bought in and talked about it on the show. But they have been explosive. They've been exciting, really efficient with the three. And they're clutch down the stretch. So kind of doing it all. Really happy for Donovan Mitchell and how he's adjusted to his new home. And I guess the last thing I want to say, which is a good teaser for the episode I'll have coming out tomorrow, but the Sacramento Kings, yes, they're 3-6, and six, but it's nice to see that they've been competitive in all but just one of their games. I mean, I don't think they're as bad as anyone would really say, or as some would say. Um, they just need to find a way to make their defense a little bit more disruptive, but I'm not totally just selling out on the Kings just yet. So a couple of things that you mentioned. One. One of the biggest knocks or criticisms against the NBA when compared to other sports was was that in the NBA, you kind of knew who was going to be in the mix to win a title. And it was like four or five teams every given year. Like, you know, those teams are going to be in it. This year, A, there's more parity at the top, right? In terms of just, you know, really good teams that are in the mix. Usually it's like, three or four teams right now you can really make a case for like six or seven teams and I think the majority of them I would say five of those six and seven are in the Eastern Conference and we can talk about that in a little bit but and it's not just the parity at the top it's the parity throughout the entire league like even the bad teams right the bad teams have really good players Look at the Orlando Magic, right? Mm-hmm. The Orlando Magic are, are two and seven right now or something like that, right? But like they're exciting and they're in these games. And I, you know, a team like that five or six years ago would have been like a seven or an eight seed. But there's been this talent boom and it's permeated the entire league. So the parity is really tremendous. It's really crazy. In just five or six years, like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, these last two rookie draft classes have really, really impressed, and especially the one we're seeing right now. Of course, Bancaro on the Magic has been huge, but uh, Jaden Ivey's been fun. Keegan Murray's been fun. It's a lot of good rookies out there. And a lot of what you see in rookie classes is – a little bit of a slow start and then a second half surge. What we're already seeing right now is some of these guys aren't waiting for that second half surge. They're game ready and NBA ready right now. So that's got to bode really, really well for the future of the league. And Bancaro's just crazy, right? Like the stuff he's doing at his size, the handle, the footwork, the polish. First of all, I didn't think that he had all that at Duke. And I know the college game is a little bit different, right? Because the the true zone defense and it's a slower game. But, I mean, the the individual skills are crazy, right? Just crazy on that guy. But, yeah, it's, it's beyond him. Like, he's obviously at the top of the class. But, you know, Jaden Ivey, who I wanted the Knicks to be in play for for a trade, uh, that didn't happen. I mean, even his teammate Jalen Duran, who's super raw, has shown flashes. 
right? Keegan Murray, the clowns on the Kings for taking him over, Jaden Ivey, like, he looks like a really good player, right? And we mentioned Portland just now, them being a surprise. You know, Shaden Sharp, who was like the mystery guy of the draft, looks like he's a real player. And it's just adding to the youth and athleticism of Portland. And yeah, Portland's a great story. I thought they were going to be in about the playing mix also. The West is interesting because I don't think there's a lot of separation between even like the top teams and and seven and eight. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of sh- moving and shaking in that conference, and a lot of it's going to have to do based on injury. But it's good for Dame. And shout out to Chris Broussard today, by the way. I just I just want to point this one out. We're just talking on first things first. Those those knuckleheads who talk on that show, right? They're talking about. You know, Anthony Davis trades. We'll get to the Lakers at the end. I try not to focus on the Lakers because I'll inevitably have my good buddy who's a Laker fan. And so I get to just make fun of him for an hour. But they're (laughs) talking about Dame for Anthony Davis straight up. And Chris Broussard tweets out, it's good for both teams. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, the Blazers are good and the Lakers aren't, right? So Mm -hmm. why is this good for both teams? Also, the fact that Damian Lillard is still really good and Anthony Davis is no longer really good, right? So why is this good for both teams again? I don't understand it. It just makes no sense to me. And, and yeah, and, and the Cavs, I mean, I'm on record. This Cavs team, as fun as it is, makes me so sad. So, so sad. Because I'm a disgruntled Knicks fan. Donovan Mitchell should be a Nick. And every time he has a big game and every time I see RJ Barrett brick a layup after he drove into three people and missed a wide open shooter in the corner, I just get more and more angry. And so, yeah, it sucks. But the Cavs, when I said, you know, those top teams in the East, you know, five of the top seven contenders, I think the Cavs are in that mix, which is incredible. Oh, most definitely they are. I picked against them on opening night, not because I didn't believe in them, but just because, again, I wanted to see it once. And that was the first game they lost until last night when the Clippers snapped their eight-game win streak. But, uh, no, they're playing for Which real. A crazy they... finish, by the way. Oh, yeah. Very wild finish. Uh, maybe, I don't know, it's uh, good for the Clippers, I guess, who are a big question mark right now. But, um yeah, Cleveland is doing their thing, and they got Darius Garland back, and he did not miss a beat coming in that first game against the Celtics, uh, defeating them in overtime at home. Just really exciting stuff. How good is Garland, by the way? Really, good really good. He? he is. Oh, my God. Like, I feel like, you know, and there's the point guard position is stacked with talent now. Like, just absolutely stacked with talent. But I feel like he, even though he made an all-star game last year, like, I feel like he even gets slept on. He He's excellent. I mean, we're talking all NBA caliber level. Like, he's so excellent. Oh, absolutely. And winning God, really solves team. a lot of things, too. So if the Cavs continue to win, Garland's just going to get more and more recognition. Being around better players ups your game. So the future is really bright for this young stud. That's all I got to say about him. So let me ask you a question. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, I said five of the seven top teams in terms of contenders are in the East. Besides for the Denver Nuggets, the Suns, 
and I guess your Warriors, we're going to get into in a second. Like, can you make a case for another team in the West that could even win the conference or even make the conference finals? I think you can make a case for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, right now, they are really missing Jaron Jackson Jr. a lot. They're sort of having a slow start with their defense, which they actually did last year as well. But if you can get the JJJ Steven Adams pairing out there, I think that can make a difference for this team. John Morant, we know what he is. He is spectacular when he's healthy. Injuries have been an issue, so if he stays healthy, he's going to be electric. If Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams can be back on the court, I think that's really going to stabilize this defense. And the defense got off to a slow start last year a little bit too, and then they really got it together we had a great record without John Morant. When he's on the floor, we know exactly what he is. He's explosive, electric, MVP caliber player. The big question mark with him is can he stay healthy for a playoffs because of the way he is constantly flying around and jumping 15 feet up into the air. But uh, the Grizzlies, I would say, very much alive for a contender. It's still very early in the season, and I wouldn't count them out by any means. Did you see that layup the other night that John Morant had? The hang time is absurd. Like, it's the only other guy, I think, in history who had that level of hang time. And we've seen great athletes, right? Like, at his peak, Russell Westbrook was an absurd athlete, right? Derrick Rose, same thing. LeBron, same thing. But the only guy who had hang time like that is was Jordan. That He had this, like, double-clutch layup, I think, with his left hand, that it was just so ridiculous. And you're just like... what? Like, what is this? Like, what is going on here? But yeah, no, like every time he goes to the basket, you're scared for his health because somebody tries to undercut him and take a charge. And it's ridiculous. He's going to fall and you don't, you, you just pray for the best. But yeah, I Memphis is interesting to me. I mean, Desmond Bain is like a really, really, really awesome player. Um, I think if Memphis even wanted to like really push their chips in a little bit and push you know, this forward a little bit. They have some young assets. You know, Dylan Brooks is a contract they can move. I'll be interesting to see what they do. Heads up, uh, as a playoff contender, them or the Phoenix Suns? Who do you, who you got? I think the Suns are incredibly vulnerable right now, and I'm going to talk all about that this week. I would have to go with the Grizzlies. Uh, I don't want to count the Suns out too early because on opening night, I was thinking they were toast. They came back and beat the Mavericks after down 22, and have had a great start to the season. But they're vulnerable to me, and I would take the Grizzlies. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. You know what? The, the Chris Paul at the end of the year in May and June, it scares me. It scares me. The guy is just, you know, it's... It's been a long time. It's been in the league a long time. He's 35 years old. No, he's older than that. Like 35, 36 years old. Like it's, it's been a while and he just wears down. Like small guards don't age well. Like he's actually aged better than you thought he was going to. So yeah, I agree with you. I, the Memphis thing, they have the continuity. The coach is really, really good. Not saying that Monty Williams is not good, but it's, they just got you young legs and and they're not scared of anybody they, they and that's they it right there that is exactly it playoff basketball yeah. is different and when you're not scared it is dangerous i don't care who you're going against i don't care if it's grizzlies warriors 
that's going to be an absolute battle, whoever has to face that team, assuming that they are at full strength. Before we transition into your Warriors, um, because I still, even though they've gotten off to the slow start, they had the four-game losing streak, four or five games. Five, Before they I think. Last night. Five-game losing streak, whatever. They have the pedigree. We'll get to them in a second. But the East, right? I mean, I think Milwaukee is, is the cream of the crop there. Um, I think Cleveland, Boston... I'm still bullish on Philly, even though I'm not a James Harden guy. I actually think they're going to look a little bit better once Harden sits, you know, and he figures out that him dribbling the ball constantly is is not good. Um, and and Max is going to step up. I still respect Miami. Yeah, I still respect Miami. I, I respect Miami in the pedigree, but I, I just think, you know, if you add Atlanta and – Toronto, who are like a little bit of a step down, like that's a lot of top teams in the East. And I can't say that the West is like that. It's not loaded like that. Yeah, the West has been weird and inconsistent so far. I think what's strange about that side of the conference is you're getting a lot of teams that can be really good. We know Dallas has one of the best players in the league. We know that the Pelicans are even explosive and fun. At times, the Timberwolves, maybe if they figure things out and have locked down defense, could be troublesome for teams. But right now, what you're getting is a lot of everybody beating everybody. And even the Warriors and the Clippers, the two teams that everybody expected to see at the end of the Western Conference, have gone off to very strange starts. And it's not that they're not good or that they can't end up in the conference finals. But we're going to see a lot of shifting in the East. And like you mentioned, or the West, sorry, that is. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, I, a lot of it's going to come down to injury. You might see teams in that play-in slot who you would look at at the beginning of the season and think, what? Like, how did that happen? Like the Dallas Mavericks or the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers, it's just a continuity thing, right? Kawhi Leonard can't play. Right, It's almost like he should retire almost, but he just signed a guaranteed deal, so he has no incentive to retire. The Mavericks, I just think the roster is limited, like I've said multiple times, and a lot of that, you know, as great as Luka is, and the fact that he could be a 50-game winner basically himself, I'm not sure that's good enough to stay out of that play-in tournament because the bottom of the league is better, right? Because they're going to take some of those wins that normally they would be walkovers. Um, but yeah, no, so I was kind of out on the Clippers. But, so let's transition to your Warriors, right? The Warriors are defending champs. Uh, I still would put them in the upper echelon of contenders in the NBA. I think they have the second or third best player in the league in Stephen Curry. But it's it's been clunky so far. The defense has been bad. James Wiseman, the experiment has not gone well. Clay Thompson, you've really seen a lot of, let's just call it rust. Uh, he had moments in the playoffs last year, but he's largely been not very good uh, so far this year. Jordan Poole has taken a step back. Are you nervous right now for your Warriors? If you had to say what the major problem is, what would it be? And um, and what would you do about this James Wiseman thing if you were running the team? Okay, so first things first, 
I'm not nervous because when you have Steph Curry, it takes away so much stress. You win games or can compete in games that you have no business being there for because he is that different. Uh, my main issue right now is that the defense is very complacent and they are fouling a lot. People are complaining about the free throw count and blaming the refs and maybe some of it can be attributed to officiating, but it's not going to be a 46 to 15 free throw battle every single night just because of officiating. I mean, they are fouling a lot. The defense needs to get a little bit more disciplined. Um, you know, and the young guys do need to step it up behind the leadership of the vets. It's weird because we saw them do it last year in the playoffs, but for whatever reason, it's just not clicking right now. And they certainly can salvage this James Wiseman situation. I mean, he's only played 49 games in his NBA career. You know, he got drafted at a weird time and a pandemic, and he only played one or two games in college, and he's battled through so much injury. So he's very raw. I don't know if he will be good come three, five years, or if he'll still be a warrior, but I still think the upside is very much there. It's just a time in which they have to preach a little bit of patience. And it's not just Wiseman. We're talking about Moody, Kaminga, even Ty Jerome, and now they're using Anthony Lamb. People have just got to start figuring out ways to step up. And with James Wiseman, yeah, I mean, the experiment is still very much alive. He is, he still very much can be good, you know, they can salvage the situation. He's only played 49 games in his NBA career, got drafted at a weird time in a pandemic after not really playing much in college. He's battled through some injury and yeah, there's, there's time to be patient for sure. I mean, uh, give it a year, two, three. I don't know if he'll still be a warrior and I don't know if he'll be a high caliber NBA player, but the potential is still very much there. And it's just a kind of thing where they have to preach a little bit of patience it's not just him. A lot of young guys need to continue to step up. Moody could be better. Kaminga could be much better. Uh, now they're using Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb. So we'll see who's in the mix. I'm not really worried about Jordan Poole because we've seen him escalate to crazy levels on a championship team. But yeah, he can get it together a little bit too. I, yeah, so to answer your question in short, I do think the situation is salvageable. But it is certainly messy right now. It's amazing that the Warriors have had this this incredible arc, right? They win a title 2015. 2016, they blow the title. Kevin Durant comes in. He's the, the hired gun, the mercenary, but he leaves. They do that amazing, you know, D'Angelo Russell sign and trade deal for Kevin Durant, which leads to Wiggins, which has been just a slam dunk for them, right? So they've had this crazy thing where they they get the number two pick and they've gotten absolutely nothing out of the number two pick for, this is his third year now, and they still win a title. Like, it's just, it's crazy, but I don't think the Wiseman thing is salvageable in Golden State. I think it's just like, I it's time for them to just cut bait and just get what you can for them. You have enough of a young core anyway that has shown enough promise that they can play the style of game that the Warriors want to play. Uh, Kaminga and Moody, you know, to be the, the major two. 
and just get what you can get. It, you know, it's just not happening for Wiseman here. It, it just won't. He may be great somewhere else, but for the Warriors to maximize the Steph Curry window, I, I just don't think it's a fit. I mean, the bench for them has been a disaster this year. The starters have been good. The bench has been a disaster. Quick question on Jordan Poole. Do you think there's any carryover from the incident in the offseason where he got sucker punched by Draymond Green? Do you think there's any bit of carryover in why he's struggling so far? I actually don't. I think that the team has handled it well, at least from our perspective. And you never really know what goes on behind closed doors, but uh, I think a lot of it is Poole is out there with this younger unit a lot. So he's not always playing all of his minutes with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kavon Looney. And those have really been the core and highly successful in the terms of the plus minus, in terms of defense, in terms of a lot of those little things. You know, sometimes, especially with shooters and scorers, you just go through slumps and it's as simple as that. I'm not too worried about it in terms of the incident with Draymond Green. It seems to be going okay from the outside, but uh, of course, time always reveals everything. So this is still a conversation in one month, two months. Maybe we start looking toward there. I think it's been a strange start to a season after an emotional championship, and I wouldn't read into anything beyond that. And they got off the schneid last night in an incredible performance from Steph Curry. Absolutely masterful in the fourth quarter. Did they get away with murder with Klay Thompson fouling Kevin Herter like three times in that last possession, which should have resulted in free, three free throws? Yes, but you know what? A win's a win. The Warriors will figure it out. In general, you know, how long does it take for you to be concerned about a team or a player that seems to be underachieving? And now, obviously, not every situation is the same, right? The Warriors have a track record of success. So we'll give them a little bit of a longer leash. But, like, in general, how long do you give it before you ring the alarms? Well, I will say this. I would give it longer than a lot of fans are willing to wait for. Uh, I was really down on Andrew Wiggins, as an example, that full first year with the Warriors. Like, very, very frustrated. And he completely shut me and all the other doubters up in the playoffs because he was entirely different. I think that a team is allowed to give somebody at least a couple of years. Uh, you know, you can adjust their playing time or minimize their role. You don't have to continue doing the same thing over and over. But there are a good handful of late bloomers, even in college or the NBA. So if we're talking about a young prospect in particular, you can give it a good season or two before you really decide to make a move one way or another. Right, but I guess, you know, for a team like, you know, the Clippers, for example, who don't necessarily have the pedigree of being really awesome, like, how many games are you going to give them before you start getting really nervous where you're going to have to shake things up? Given that they're very much in a win-now situation with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I think you can make it to about the halfway point in the season, see what your record is, where the standings are, have the honest eye-to-eye -eye in the mirror. Can we win a championship right now? And if the answer is no, then you can't wait forever. That I was going to say, I'm, I'm shocked you even, you know, would wait that long.
I feel I feel like it's it's got to be quicker than that. I mean, I would say around the 25 game mark is where you have to sort of know what's going on already. Now again, not every situation's the, the same. There's injuries, there's, you know, other things, but I'm saying if if, you know, all things were created equal, team comes out s- slow out of the gate or a certain player, you know, who had, you know, certain expectations, I don't think you can give it more than than 25 games or so. Speaking of teams that are coming out hot and very much exceeding expectations, the Utah Jazz, okay? Their over-under in Vegas was about 22.5 wins, I think, at, you know, before the season started. 9-3 and three at time of the recording and atop the Western Conference. Like, at what point does this have to end? Like, at what, how much longer is this craziness going to take place? And, and what's happening here? I mean, you should think that it should have ended after that first game in Denver. Like, okay, whatever, that's a fluke. Good for the Jazz. But to be 9-3 and three after 12 games, it's not just complete luck at that point. It was crazy to me, other than the fun story about how they're kind of the Seahawks of the NBA thus far. Like, last year, to get into the play-in tournament in the Western Conference, the San Antonio Spurs, they were 10 seed, 34 wins. And right now, Utah's already more than a quarter of the way there. So, I mean, when you look at kind of the even play of the West and how in these conference matchups, like, feels like anything could happen any given night, they might get into the 30s. Like, they might be playing-ish, which is kind of crazy given that one of my friends who is a Jazz fan said to me, When the season started, I know three players on this roster. It's Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and Rudy Gay. Well, he didn't even mention their best player, Laurie Markkinen, who seemed to have uh, had the the holdover from playing FIBA over the summer, and he tore up that tournament, and now he's doing the same thing on the NBA stage. He's handling the ball as a pick-and-roll ball handler. He's finishing on big and rolls. Like, it's just it's just wild. So let me ask you a question. Okay, so you said you have a friend who's a Jazz fan. How does he feel about all this? Because obviously there's a very big prize and one smaller prize in this draft. Two guys who are generational talents and one of them who I'm convinced would be one of the 12 best players in the league right now. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think about. I mean, I think he's really entertained by the start. The last I was with him and talked to him is when they were 4-1 or, you know, off to some 3-0 maybe, one of their good starts. So I don't think he was taking it that seriously at that time. But it's worth asking him now because this whole Brick for Vic campaign is not working out in the way that a lot of people envisioned for Utah And as fun as it would be for them to sneak into a playoffs, is it worth missing out on an all-time generational talent? That's probably up to each individual fan. I mean, I don't know how I would feel. Guess what? The San Antonio Spurs are not cooperating with the tank for Wimbenyama either as much as they should. I mean, they've fallen back to earth a little bit. They're 5-6 and now, but still, like... 
at a certain point, Danny Ainge has to be like, I, I need to just dis- destroy this thing. Like, I-, I can't have this. It's wild. They're number one in the West. I mean, last year, the Wizards started 7-3 and three and were atop the East. And then they had a big downfall. So it's like, I really try to keep the immediate reactions in check. But yes, 9-3 and three is ridiculous. I do not understand it because they're beating all these teams that should theoretically blow them out of the water. And their offense is unreal. Like, yeah, they put up 139 points against the Lakers, who stink. But 139 points is going to win you a game in the NBA almost every time. And the Lakers statistically have been really good defensively. Yeah, that's like the one part of their team that's not horrendous. Correct. I mean, yeah, so when is it going to end? I don't know, but I'll say right now they are looking play-in-ish. They're looking play-in tournament-ish to me. I, I, I I don't understand. Like, Danny Ainge has to be going absolutely crazy, like... He's probably just like cheering them on, and like he he leaves the arena after the game, and he's just like motherfucking everybody. He's just like, I don't understand, I don't get it. I'm trying to torpedo this thing. It's <laughs> nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And that trade that they made to ship out Rudy Gobert looks like, you know, maybe the trade of of the century in terms of lopsided. And we thought like the Paul George thing was lopsided for Oklahoma city thunder getting SGA. Who's been outrageously good. And it's really a shame that Chet Holmgren isn't healthy because I actually think if he was healthy and I'm high on Chet, like they could have been a play in tournament team, possibly a playoff team. I, I just, so that that's a shame, but you thought that trade was bad. For the Clippers, this Gobert thing is is a mess for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, it's what's crazy mess. about that is we all thought the trade was bad even before the season started, just off of the premise that uh, Minnesota gave up way too much. And now you're looking at it and you're like, okay, not only did they give up too much in the first place, but how much better did they get, if at all, And look at Utah, who's found some crazy resurgence from a European big man who's now playing his ass off. I it's it is seriously one of the great mysteries, and to have this good for them. Walker Kessler has been good for for Utah. It just goes to show you that anybody who's willing to pay Rudy Gobert max money, there's a there's a ceiling there, and you're not going to win anything. But do I think the Utah? Do I think? The Timberwolves will be a little bit better towards the end of the year. Yes. Do I think the Utah Jazz will come back down to earth? I, you have to. I have to. I have to believe that. It just makes no sense. So from one feel-good story to the biggest disasters in the league, if you had to pick one disaster to be the biggest disaster in the league, Nets or Lakers, who would it be and why? The Brooklyn Nets are a bigger disaster because of everything that's happening outside of basketball, but I also believe they have a better chance to salvage their season at this point. I dub them the team of second chances 
on my most recent podcast. If we're talking about Ime Yudoka, I will not defend everything he did, but we know he can coach a defense, and that's exactly what the Nets need. I'm still a big believer in Kevin Durant, and I would like to see Ben Simmons be able to get back some of his career and replicate at least what he was in Philly. You know, look at the Lakers. I don't dislike their guys, and of course it's looking rough, but you're not having the same quite of off-the-court controversy, and you haven't had to fire your coach yet, and I don't know. If we're just going to take the whole package to this point in the season, the Brooklyn Nets are a complete dumpster fire. Yes, there is still a little bit of hope to cling on to, but I mean, they're the biggest disaster, and specifically Kyrie Irving is one massive disaster. Do you think Kyrie Irving is still on the team come the end of the year? I really do not know because yeah, he'll come back from this five game suspension. I don't think they're going to just ship him off after that, but it's not that he had this one incident. It's that ever since joining the team and really ever since demanding a trade out of Cleveland, he has become a distraction he has become selfish. He has not been all in to the game of basketball. And so if the Nets hit a point where it's like, hey, man, it's now or never, like you were talking about, maybe the Clippers might do at some point in the season. That That's an instance where I pull the trigger sooner than later and say, you know what? We have Kevin Durant. Like, let's get into the playoffs and let's see what happens. Well, is Kevin Durant going to be there at the end of the year? I think he'll be there at the end of the year. Whether he finds a way out in the offseason, time will tell. It really depends on how badly they finish. I mean, maybe it won't be bad at all, but if, if it's a disaster, I could see him forcing his way out. I do think he'll make it through the season, though. I feel like if the, the Nets think the Kyrie thing is so untenable and they just, they just jettison him, and I'm not even sure... There are very many takers out there. I'm not sure there are a lot of teams that would really want to deal with him. But if they find a way to jettison him out there, at that point you got to just jettison out Durant and just, well, no one's taking Ben Simmons, but if Ben Simmons is your best player, you're going to be a really, really bad team. So it doesn't really matter. And, th and that's better than just being stuck in the middle, unlike the other team in the tri-state area, the New York Knicks, who are the epitome of mediocre who legitimately are 5-5, five and five, have an even point differential, and are 5-0 and oh against losing teams, and 0-5 oh against winning teams. Whatever. I'm not getting into a Knicks rant. But, yeah, no, it, the Nets are, are a disaster from, you know, on the court and off the court. I'm going to make the case that the Lakers are the biggest on-the-court disaster in the NBA. Because, my goodness, this roster is, is, is grotesque. It's absolutely grotesque. It's just, it, it's malpractice knowing what happened with the bubble team where they had guys like KCP, Caruso, uh, Kuzma, even though all, there's been revisionist history with the Laker fans. They miss Kuzma so much. They couldn't wait to get Kuzma out of the door. Um, but, Whatever. Laker fans like to be revisionist historians. Um, but my goodness, <laughs> it's, it's a mess. And Anthony Davis is 
a shell of the guy that we saw in 2018 who was first-team All-NBA. He's not that guy anymore. Um, the Russ-Westbrook issue is not great. but and, and also, LeBron James can't make jump shots anymore. So LeBron can't make a jump shot. Anthony Davis can't make a jump shot. Westbrook's actually shooting from the outside better than both of them, which is not a good thing, right? Lonnie Walker's had some moments, but why aren't the Lakers the second worst team in the Western Conference? And they get to swap picks with New Orleans. Yep, I mean, I was just going to say it. Like, they can't even really tank. Honestly, trading Anthony Davis is their only realistic shot at getting a future by scoring in one of these next couple of drafts. And I'm not entirely sure what they can get for Anthony Davis right now. Why are you trading the, the hall for him? Why? I, I don't understand it. You know, the guy isn't that available. He's terrible now in isolation. Like, he can't score in isolation. Like, the only guy worse than him is Julius Randle, who... Let's just say, given the amount of volume, that's not company you want to be in. It's like the, the last three guys with their volume in isolation is Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and Julius Randle. It's not great company, right? He can't shoot outside of five feet anymore. He's still a very impactful defensive player. But if you can't generate your own offense and you're making a max contract, then what are you doing for me? I got a I got a good uh, trivia question for you. Sure. So the two best three point shooters on the Lakers are Matt Ryan and Austin Reeves. Would you like to know who's third? Lonnie Walker. Russell Westbrook. Wow. Well, Russ had one of the, those games where he made a couple, and if he goes one for two every other night, like his his percentages are going to climb. But that's that's crazy. Wow, that is that's something. I mean, for all the hate that he's gotten uh, in L.A., like, he is definitely not even close to the only problem on that roster right now. The offense is horrendous. They can't shoot the ball. I mean, they're 2-8, and eight, and the game that they won against the Pelicans is only because the Pelicans couldn't make free throws at the end. Yeah. And Laker fans were very excited, very excited after that game. They thought, it's like, oh, the Lakers are back. Lakers are back. But I think, you know, obviously I've been ragging on Anthony Davis for, for years. Um, now I get to take a little bit of a victory lap, like a real victory lap. But the thing is also LeBron James is in year 20 and he's slowing down. And he's just not the same guy. He doesn't have the same burst. You know, he doesn't have, you know, the jump shot right now is, is suspect. And he's still good enough to get his numbers, but they're not impactful numbers. Right. I think if you threw LeBron James on an average NBA team, in fact, if we threw him on your Knicks, because that's your definition of dead-in-the-middle average, I think he could be a totally good player. Very good player. But when you have him on a team that isn't going to be doing anything and going anywhere, really just breaking Kareem's record is about all that he's got to go for right now. Do you think LeBron James is going to be a Laker after this season? Because they can't really trade him this season. So do you think he's going to be a Laker after this season? Nobody in this league is more powerful than LeBron James, and it's not even close. So if he really wants to find a way to get out, he can get out. 
Yeah. It'll just be interesting. I, I think he's kind of at peace with where he is in his career, only because, like, he likes to live in L.A., uh, his kids are in school there. I think it's just like, all right, so if I'm not going to get another ring, like, what's the point? Like, just let's ride this one out. It'll be interesting. All right, so this has been awesome. Greg, thank you so, so much. We're going to get you out on this one. Um, your finals pick right now, your finals matchup and your champion, who would it be? Preseason, I had Warriors 76ers. The 76ers are concerning me early in the year. I don't think they're bad. I just don't see them as East champs right now. Uh, it's impossible for me to not pick Milwaukee right now. They don't even have Chris Middleton, and they are just insanely dominant. Giannis is probably the best player in the world, if you take into account everything. And then, look, I hate to be boring, but I'm not going to pick against Steph Curry until I have fair reason to do so. I know the Warriors are a little bit of a mess, but who the last two champions been? I mean, give me a rematch of those two teams. Good luck beating either Giannis or Steph Curry four times in a playoff series. I am going to go Milwaukee over Denver. Denver is my second choice. And Milwaukee's going to win the title. I'm the biggest Giannis fan outside of the state of Wisconsin. I just think he's the epitome of all that's good in sports. Yeah, so uh, Milwaukee over Denver. That's what I'm going with right now. Greg, this is awesome. Before we get out, where can everybody find you? Socials, everything, plug it all. Let's, let's hear it. Well, first of all, Aaron, I just want to say thank you for having me. It's been an awesome time making my debut on For the Love of the Game. Great, great stuff you got going on here. Great sports podcast. I'm happy well, to be a part have, of it. You don't have to say all this to earn another, you know, appearance back. Like, it's not necessary, but I do appreciate it, but it's not necessary. <laughs> okay, okay, good to know. Uh, back to your original question. You can find me on Twitter at Greg O. Silvers. That's G-R-E-G-O-H-S-I-L-V-E-R. Uh, my show is called Screaming from the Sidelines. We talk all about basketball. So right now, super heavy NBA and a little bit of betting thrown in there as well. But whether you bet or not, there's still absolutely a space for you to come and listen or engage with me and want to hear about some new topics and I'm always open to any suggestions and everything. So yeah, we've gotten, I think 10 episodes down so far in a very young show, but I'm really happy to keep going with it. And it's been really fun to just get it up and running off the ground so far. Well, love to hear it. It's been good so far. I've tuned in. I like it. I'm waiting for my appearance because we're going to do a home and home. So you just let me know when, and again, you know, all the compliments aside, you know, we'd love to have, have you back on during the year. Greg, this was great. I'll speak to you soon, man. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks again to my first time guest and new family member of the Believe Podcast Network, Greg Silver, for coming on to talk about the NBA. Good stuff from him. We battled some technical difficulties, but we got it done. That's episode 183. For the love of the game, take us out, Migos. I feel the wheel. My chest band give me chills. And the left hand of Richard Mill. Not the watch, but the price on the ice. If you don't know what that is. Motorsport, Motorville. Aboard the mission, that's a kill. Motorsport. Put that thing in sports. Shout it bad. Pop a like a court. You a dork. Never been a sport. 
jumping, not the court. Cotton candy, my cup tastes like the fair. Straight up there, we didn't take the stairs. Face my fears, gave my mama tears. Shit the gears on the knuckle series. I wish my grandma could see me. Take away pain ain't easy. That why I vibe a blizzard. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.